0: Father, we um, we thank you so much that you've given us your word, Lord, that we have this incredible book where we get to understand who you are and all that you've done for us in a way that can actually change our lives. And Lord, I want to pray that you would help me <laughs> to be cracked and broken and you to look glorious. I want to pray, Lord, that our hearts would be changed by the message of this book, that we would encounter the living God through the word of God in a special way this morning Amen Amen. So we're going to be in Revelation chapters 1 and chapters 4 and 5 and I guess I want to talk a bit about the subject of vision So I guess most of us will know what a vision is A vision is a picture, normally of the future that shapes the way that we live our lives isn't it? And You may consciously, but perhaps subconsciously, you may not realise it, but each one of us has a vision right, for our lives. So the reason that you go to the gym is because you've got a vision for your life, isn't it? You want to look big and buff like me. The reason that you might be here in Chatham going to university is because you've got a vision for your life. The, the motives might be varying. It might be that you want letters after your name. It might be that you want financial security for your family in the future. It might be that you want a high flying career. It might be that you want to be noticed by others. It might be to get your parents off your back. That was the reason I went to uni in the end. Um, but we make decisions based on Uh, our vision for our lives. The reason you invest in a pension is because of a picture of the future that motivates you. The reason you get married, buy a car, start a job. Everything that we do is motivated by some kind of looking towards the future and saying, I want my life to be shaped to look like that. I hope we all agree with that. And so I guess um, it'd be worth just taking a moment, just think for a second, what is the defining features of the vision of my life? You may be able to answer that. You may be sitting here thinking, I'm a student in Cheltenham, I'm 19, I literally haven't got a clue. (laughs) Right? That's okay. I was with a friend of mine the other day, he's a businessman, and um, he's a Christian, and he said to me, "Um, I could have done more with my business, I could have had um, you know, more status, it could have been bigger, it could have been more profitable, we could have been more well known. He said, I just want an easy life. So that's his vision for his life. I just want an easy life. Maybe that's you. Um, I don't know whether any of you have watched the film Whiplash. Yes. Anybody seen that film? Incredible. I I uh, used to play a lot of jazz saxophones, so that film is just for me is just like absolute heaven. Um, and uh, it's a film about a jazz drummer who just wants to be the best, like success at all costs, the pursuit of greatness. Maybe that's the vision of your life. Maybe you just want to be known as a, a nice person. Um maybe that's the vision of your life. Lois, one of the defining features of the vision of her life, she always says to me, Ben, I want to live till I'm 100. I'm not sure she gets to decide, but that's what she's working towards. And I guess I want us to talk about vision because um, culture and our friends and our families and our society is all trying to define the direction that our lives take, isn't it? Everybody's trying to shape that for us. Um, you might call it worldview, I don't know um, but everybody's trying to do that and and in a world full of secularism and individualism um, it's very easy both to be shaped by other people's thoughts but also to kind of take on this mantle that I'm the captain of my fate and I'm the master of my soul, right, you've heard that is that a Mandela quote or something, I'm not sure um, I'm looking at Howard like he's the most cultured guy in the room I should look somewhere else, right <laughs> but but we have that, we've been sold that, and it sounds really attractive on the surface, um, but if you think about it for any length of time, you'll realize it's completely wrong. Um, but it's all about vision, isn't it? It's all about where are we going with our lives. And I guess what I want us to do today is simply to think about what is God's vision for your life? What's the picture of the future that God has? that shapes the direction and the decisions that we make in our life and, and what I've discovered is um, in the book of Revelation I think a lot of people find this book to be incredibly confusing, right? Anybody want to put a hand up on that? <laughs> Amen, right? We can all agree on something today <laughs> a- and I think a lot of us think that it's all about um, crazy end times details and when Barack Obama is going to become the antichrist and Iran is going to start a nuclear war, right? Is that just me or has anybody else heard that? Right, I don't really think that that is necessarily what this book is about. And what I want to suggest to us is that in its most simplest form, this is, it's a book of visions, pictures, right? But I believe it's a book of visions and pictures that are supposed to shape the direction of our life and help us dictate the decisions that we make in our life. This isn't kind of some uh, crazy-like looking to the future with loads of crazy details that we've got to kind of figure out book. This is a book that was written to seven churches who were figuring out what it looked like for their lives to be shaped by God and the gospel in a world that really didn't care much for the gospel of Jesus. So actually, there's quite a lot that we can learn from this book. And like I said, it's just a bunch of um, pictures. We could argue all day as to whether they're pictures of the past, present or future, um, which we're not going to do. And and I guess what I want us to do is rather than um, struggle with this as an intellectual minefield of stuff, I want us to come at this book thinking about how does it help us figure out God's vision for our lives. So um, think of it, if you like. It seems to be in the all over the internet at the moment. Everybody's talking about those VR headsets, right? Virtual reality headsets. Any gamers around? One or two, right? VR headsets, you put them on and all of a sudden re- the reality of your life is being redefined. And I'm hoping that when we look at um, these a few visions in Revelation that it's going to help us to redefine the vision of our lives. So we're going to look at three visions. It was interesting that um, Howard at the start didn't he say something about some guy who had who asked the Lord for three pictures? Yeah, yeah. yeah? so we're just going to look at three pictures um, today. And the first one is um, in chapter 1, the second one is chapter 4, and the third one is chapter 5. Just three pictures, three realities, three visions from God that are to shape everything that we do in our lives. Whether you're a Christian here, maybe you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I think these are um, three things that are supposed to massively shape our lives. So the first one is this. You'll find it in uh, verse 12 of Revelation 1 down to the end of the chapter. The reality of the resurrected Jesus. There we are. Let's just read these verses together. Are they up on the screen? I've realised I've got a different version of the Bible to what I did on the PowerPoint. So the best thing for me to do is to turn around. So don't be offended if I've got my back to you. Is that alright? So this is the first vision. This is the first picture that John sees in the book of Revelation. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was somebody like a son of man When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am the living one. I was dead. And now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Write therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and on the seven golden lampstands is this. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands of the seven churches. That's trippy, right? Yeah? (laughs) That's the kind of things that happen in Tonopandi on a Friday night, those kind of things. What on earth is going on here? Well, this is a picture of Jesus. I don't know what the picture of Jesus that you have in your mind today is, but this is a picture of Jesus. And it's a vision of Jesus as the resurrected priest, judge, and victorious ruler of all history. I'm going to get into some of the detail quickly, but we're not going to get too far into it. Seven lampstands. This is a picture about priesthood. That Jesus, um, like the um, priest used to deal with the lamps in the temple, Jesus is now standing amongst these lampstands. The whole point is this. He is the priest, the one who stands between God and sinful man to deal with sin once and for all. Got that? So he's the priest. But he's also the judge. You read that crazy thing, right, about him having fiery flames in his eyes. bit trippy. And a sharp double-edged sword of judgment coming out of his mouth. Jesus is not only the priest who stands in the gap between sinful man and God for all history. He's also the judge. The one who every single person is going to stand before. And he is going to judge them. And he's not going to judge them based on our morality... He's going to judge each one of us. This is the kind of judge he is. The kind of judge who stands on feet that are as pure as refined bronze. Did you see that in the in the thing? That his feet are like re- refined bronze. And his very complexion is as white and pure as snow. What John sees is the, the this vision of a judge whose morality is absolutely perfect, Who's gonna judge us by that morality? And you see, don't you? I think, is it verse 17? Maybe I'm not, no, not, was it that far through? Should never close your Bible when you're preaching. It doesn't, doesn't help. When I saw him, verse 17, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And Jesus says, don't be afraid. He's the priest that stands in the gap. He's the judge that's going to judge all humanity. But he's also the ruler. So you see a bunch of um, different references. We don't want to go into the detail, but things to do with um, waterfalls from Ezekiel and um, shining faces from the warrior of judges and all and the, the Ancient of Days with a head and hair of... Was it white? Head and hair and all that. These are all pictures of God... And, and and his sovereignty, right? That Jesus isn't just the priest, he isn't just the judge, but he is also the ruler of all humanity forever. Right? That's a big old picture of Jesus. I don't know what picture of Jesus you've got in your mind today. Maybe it's a peasant walking along with dirty feet in Galilee, but, but this Jesus is far from that. He's the priest. He's the judge. And he's the ruler of all humanity. And guess what? He's risen from the dead. One of the problems that we have as Christians is we celebrate the resurrection on Easter Sunday and then two weeks later we forget about it, right? Or is that just me? Let's not forget that Jesus is alive. And he's not alive wandering the earth. He's alive seated on his throne in heaven with all authority. And all power, that's what it says in Ephesians. He's ascended to the glorious, almighty throne from which he's going to judge the living and the dead. And he holds in his hands the keys of death and Hades. You know when I read that, I nearly jumped out of my skin. This God, the priest of all humanity, the judge of all humanity, the ruler of all humanity... He holds in his hands the keys of death and Hades. What does that mean to us? It means that we have a way of being set free from the curse of death forever. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that awesome that Jesus is alive and he holds in his hands the key that unlocks the curse of death forever, that we might have life beyond the grave forevermore. Let me ask you this. Has that vision of the resurrected Jesus captivated your heart? Has it thrilled your mind? Is it shaping the reality of the life that you are building? If you're not a Christian here, I want to tell you this. Jesus is alive. If Jesus wasn't alive... If he wasn't the ruler, if he wasn't the judge, and if he wasn't a priest that could deal with your sin before God, then we might as well pack up, go home and forget about this. Right? But but this is not what the Bible says. The Bible says, no, this, this vision, this is the truth. This is the vision that I want to shape your life. If you're not a Christian here, this is the vision that God wants to shape your life, that Jesus Christ rose from the grave, that he holds the key for your life, to be, for your sin to be dealt with, and for you to have eternal life with God forevermore. And the wonderful thing about this this guy is that that this this Jesus that we see is that he's not simply sat on a throne uh looking down on us but he also is the priest that wants to mediate this relationship for us. And I guess I just want to say to you here maybe you're you're in church for the first time or the second time maybe you're not a christian maybe you've spent a whole bunch of your life in church but you've never actually submitted your life to to Jesus the risen king. I guess I want to say to you today that, that Jesus holds out with grace and kindness as a gift the keys to death and Hades over your life today. He says, I'm willing to stand in the gap for you today. I'm willing to be your priest. I'm willing to judge you well because of my righteousness. I'm willing to be the ruler over a kingdom which you get to be part of. Don't you want to come? Please come and be part of it. That's Jesus. He's not a dead guy in a grave. He's alive and ascended to the place of all authority. Bow to the knee. Bow to the knee. Don't let him judge you against his perfection without first receiving his righteousness. Let that truth shape your life. Second vision that we see in the book of Revelation, we're going to skip the bit about the churches, that's the bit that everybody loves to preach, that's the boring bit. So we're going to jump that and we're going to go to chapter 4. The second vision that we see in the book of Revelation is the glory of the Godhead. I keep closing my Bible, this is not going well for me. The glory of the Godhead. Let's just read chapter 4 together. If you want to close your eyes, feel free because this is really, there's a lot of imagery here. So he looked the first time and he saw the resurrected Jesus. He looks the second time and I looked and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard, that's Jesus, speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. Immediately I was in the spirit and a throne was set there in heaven. And one was seated on the throne, and the one seated looked like jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. Around the throne were twenty-four thrones, and on the throne sat twenty-four elders dressed in white clothes with gold crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered their eyes in front and in, in, and in back, were in the middle and around the throne. The first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around, the in, around, around and inside. Day and night they never stopped, saying, Holy, holy, holy holy. Lord God Almighty, the one who was and is and who is coming. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before, and the one seated on the throne worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, and they say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things, and because of your will, they exist and were created. The second picture that's supposed to fill our lives is the glory of the Godhead. Did anybody note, notice the, um, the word that kept on coming up? Verse after, verse after verse after verse after verse after verse in there. Throne. Did you say that? Is that what you said? I saw a mumbling of lips. Throne. We'll go with throne. Right answer, well done. Gold star. I saw a throne. And there was a rainbow surrounding the throne. And there was elders surrounding a throne. And there was flashing of lightning coming from the throne. And torches surrounding the throne. And a glass sea of crystal, think about that for a minute, surrounding the throne. And living creatures surrounding the throne. And everything in this whole passage is pointing towards this throne in the middle of heaven, and the one who is seated on it. Now, I spent some time in Cambridge last week. Great place. Similar to Cheltenham. Quite different to Tanapandi, right? <laughs> As I realised something when I was in Cambridge. I, I, I had a really busy few months. I needed to get away for a few days. And I wandered around Cambridge, this place that seems to have to find itself by um, success and attainment and, and wealth and whatever. And, and I I was wandering around kind of like feeling godly, like this is all terrible. But at the same time discovering in my heart that at the centre of my life is a throne and I really like to sit on it. Right? That I want the glory for myself not the glory of God. These are honest challenges for my life. I think this is why I decided to preach while I'm preaching that the glory of a successful job is really attractive to me. Maybe it's attractive to you. The glory of accumulated wealth is really attractive to me. Maybe it's attractive to you. The glory of a healthy body is really attractive to me. Maybe it's attractive to you. The glory of a comfortable life is really attractive to me. Maybe it's attractive to you. And this vision in chapter 4 of Revelation is all about saying your life, this universe, heaven itself, is not about you being at the centre of it all and sat on a throne for everybody to worship you. It's about God Almighty sitting on a throne and everything in heaven on earth being pointed towards his glory for all eternity. We've got to catch that for our lives. That is a vision that is supposed to shape everything we do when we get up on a Monday morning. When you go to work, when you go to university, when you're looking after your kids, when you're having an argument with your wife, when you're whatever it is that you're doing, you have to understand that, that this life that you live, whether you're a Christian or not a Christian yet, the life that you live is, is, is supposed to be about the glory of God. That, God, that God created humanity in the first place, not for, for our satisfaction, not for our glory, but for His glory to make much of who He is. Are you living for the glory of God? Paul said, when he, went, when he wrote to the Thessalonians the first time, we encouraged, we comforted, we implored each one of you to walk worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and into his glory. So God is the glorious one and he calls us, he says, and Paul is saying, God calls us, into his glory. He says, come and glorify me. Come and live a glorious life that looks like my glorious life. Have you noticed in the passage, I got so excited when I saw this. Look at what the elders are doing. Look at what the elders are doing. Verse 9 and 10. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honour and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the twenty-four others fall down before the one seated on the throne, they worship the one who lives forever, and they cast their crowns before him. Holy Spirit just said to me when I was preparing yesterday, Ben, what crowns do you need to cast before me today? What is it that you have in your life, what is it that you're wearing on your head, metaphorically, that is bringing glory to you, when it should be bringing glory to God. Flip. That's a hard question, right? Adam, does you when you think about that kind of thing. But the whole point of everything is that our Lord and God would receive from us glory and honor and power. Because of who he is. And because of what he's done. And the question is, will I be satisfied, right? If I give my life, rather than for the pursuit of myself, but for the pursuit of the the glory of God, will I be satisfied? John Piper isn't it, who says we are most satisfied when he is most glorified. This is why we were created. And you know what? When i when we're planting a church in Tanapandi, and it's tough, and it's miserable, and for three months we didn't have a day when it didn't rain. I'm not joking. This is the Welsh valleys it can feel like the most inglorious and glamorous and unsatisfying thing that we could ever hope to do. There's moments when life is incredibly demoralizing, isn't it? And we have this choice in those moments. I think this happens all the time for us, where we go, we can either retreat and go, I'm going to live for my comfort and my security and the glory of myself. Or we can press into God, we can die to ourselves afresh, Say, God, I'm just going to keep on going, knowing that this is about your glory. I have to be honest, I have to preach that to myself all the time. So the second vision that should shape our lives is the glory of the Godhead. The first one, the reality of the resurrected Christ. The second one, the glory of the Godhead. The third one, this third uh, vision, and there's many more in the book of Revelation, but the third one we're going to talk about is the role of the rescuer. The role of the rescuer. Revelation 5. I'm going to skip the bit about the scrolls. Because everybody reads the bit about the scrolls, you'll see it up there. And they start asking all the questions about the scrolls. Well, what's the scroll? What's it about? What do we do with the scroll? And the whole focus of the passage is not on what this scroll is, it's about the one who is worthy to open it. So, should we just start at verse 4? I cried, and I cried and I cried because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or even to look in it. Then one of the elders said to me, Stop crying! Look, the lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, that's Jesus, by the way has been victorious so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders. He had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. He came and took the scroll out of the right hand and of the one seated on the throne. And when he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp and gold, gold bowls, filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. You made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they will reign on the earth. There's a sermon right there for another day. That the redeemed people of God are a kingdom of priests to God who reign on the earth. What a calling! Sorry, I I need to carry on. But (laughs) (laughs) Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels around the throne and also of the living creatures and of the elders. The number was countless, thousands plus thousands of thousands. A lot, in Tonopandi speak. They said with a loud voice, the lamb who was slaughtered is worthy to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven, on earth, under the earth and on the sea and everything in in them say, blessing and honor and glory and power to the one seated on the throne and to the lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said amen and the elders fell down and worshipped. What's the third vision from Revelation that's supposed to shape our life? It's the vision that Jesus is on a rescue mission to every person on the earth. Right? That's what this is all about. This is the glory of Jesus because he's the lamb who was slain. Was that? Verse 6. In order that, verse 9, he would redeem people for God by his blood from every tribe and language and people and nation. So that, verse 11, countless thousands plus thousands of thousands would be before his throne for all eternity. This is a picture of the future that's supposed to shape the direction and the decisions that we make in our lives. Jesus is on a mission to save multitudes. Multitudes in the Rhonda. That's why we're believing for many, many churches. Multitudes in Cheltenham. Multitudes across the nations. In this generation and in the ge- generations to come, until every tribe and language and people of the earth has been touched by the redeeming grace of God. Yes. That The that, that that Christ might receive glory upon glory and praise upon praise for all eternity for the rest of time. That is God's great purpose in the world right now. And here's the crazy thing today in Cheltenham. That we all get to be a part of it. That blows my mind. Right? What does... Paul say 2 Corinthians five nineteen and 20 he has committed the message of reconciliation to us now either God's mad or he's an absolute genius right <laughs> that the people of God First Church in Cheltenham on the 10th of April 2016 is God's master plan to reconcile the sinners of Cheltenham to the glorious, gracious, loving God that's going to stand in heaven, sit in heaven for all eternity we are ambassadors for Christ and then he says this word which I wouldn't have put there certain that God is appealing through us, how many people feel uncertain as witnesses of Jesus Christ yeah? yeah? I'm certainly not very good at it. But Paul says, I'm absolutely certain that this is God's plan. This is God's rescuing plan for, for this picture of, of, of um, the future of multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes. The plan is this, I'm certain, that God is going to do his appealing through us. that is the reason that we live where we live it's the reason we work where we work it's the reason we we see our friends it's the reason we come to church it's the the reason that we do everything that we do should be shaped by this picture of multitudes upon multitudes upon multitudes bowing down and worshipping the risen Jesus for all eternity if you're living for anything else then you're wasting your life I preach that to myself Friends, let's not get distracted. Let's not give up. Let's not settle for a lighter, cheaper, less potent Christianity than the one who's going to judge all humanity but whose plan is to rescue and redeem a lost people forever as we come into land I think we know those things I think we know that Jesus is the wonderful risen saviour of all humanity I think many of us know that our lives are to be lived for the glory of God and him alone I think we know that Jesus is on a rescue mission and that he calls us to be part of it Question is, what are we living for, right? And I'm preaching to myself. What are we living for today? What are you going to live for tomorrow and next week? Here's the wonderful truth of the gospel, right? When I measure my life up against everything that I've said, it sucks. (laughs) Yeah? It sucks. You know the gospel of Jesus? There's no guilt. There's no shame and there's no condemnation. Which means that we don't have to go out of here going, oh man, that was heavy stuff. My life is rubbish. We don't have to beat ourselves up today because we have a Father in Heaven who loves us with everlasting love no matter how we live our lives if we trust in Jesus. But I want to ask you, I want to pray for you today that those three visions would capture your hearts, your attention, and turn your lives upside down. It doesn't mean that you're not exactly where God wants you. It doesn't mean what you're doing day by day is not what God wants you to be doing. But this is about having God's vision shaping our lives around that, not our own vision and Shaping our lives around that. And here's the thing. Just to encourage you at the end. It's really hard. And it's really painful. To live all out for Jesus. Sounds like a lot of change, right? Doesn't it? And here's what Jesus says to his disciples. He sends them out. He commissions them to go and be his representative representatives to the world in Matthew 10, and he looks his disciples in the eyes, and he says this, whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And anyone who finds his life will lose it. But anyone losing his life because of me will find it. When we give ourselves wholly and completely to God, His glory and His rescue mission, I honestly think we find life more than you could ever imagine. And so we end. How do we end? When, when I got here, the first thing Howard said to me was, Ben, just tell us how you're going to lead us in response. I said, I don't know. And I'm still not sure. Um, I guess we've got to do what the elders do in Revelation 4, right? And just put ourselves before God, his glory, his authority, his rule, his judgment. His priesthood, and bow in worship, say, Lord, it's all going on the altar today. Do with me as you will. So, why don't we do that together? Let's just be still before God. Corporate response is good, but sometimes we just need to be in our own moment of repentance and faith. If you're here and you're not a Christian yet and this vision of what God wants for your life has captivated you, if you know that you've never been reconciled to God, that the keys of death and Hades that Jesus holds in his hands to bring you into everlasting life, that you've never said, yeah, Jesus, I want, I want you to be my priest and do that for me, then you do have an opportunity today to do that. Those verses were complicated, but coming to Jesus is not complicated. You just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know you're going to judge me, and I'm going to be found out to not be perfect. Would you rescue me from my sin and bring me into your kingdom? It's that simple. And if you want that, then you can just say that to God right now. And if you want to do that, then you should come and just say to Howard or Naomi or myself or whatever, just say to somebody, hey, I've I've bowed the knee to this Jesus today. And we'll help you figure that out. And for the rest of us, I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to not bring condemnation, but bring conviction to our lives. And there's no one response across the board. For some people it's laying down a certain thing. For other people it's doing something different. For some people it's being more bold with our friends in work. For some people it's a complete undoing of everything that they've lived for till this day. So I'm not going to be prescriptive with that. I'm just going to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to um, convict and touch people's hearts. And then I'll shut up and Howard can do the rest. God, we... God, we know that we are not worthy to come to a God as glorious as you. We know, Lord, that our lives don't stack up in light of all that we've read from your word today. Lord, we are undone by this this picture of Jesus, by your gloriousness, by the mission that you're on to rescue the world and the part that we've got to play in that. And so Lord, we want to pray right now that you would come by the power of your spirit as a helper to convict our souls and to show us clearly what it is we need to do today and this week to live in light of these great, three great visions that we've been looking at in Revelation. Lord, we cast before you our crowns we cast before you our desire for success and status and glory and the praise of man. Lord, we, we cast all that before you. Lord, we say we want our lives to count for your glory and for your name and for, for your honour today, Lord. And so, Jesus, would you be merciful enough today to show us what it is that we need to do with our lives in order that that would be so? Convict us, Lord bring us to a place of real change that we pray this week that amongst the nitty gritty and mess and brokenness of our lives that we would be mindful of the reality of the resurrected Christ the glory of the Godhead and your role in rescuing this world that we do all that we can to die to ourselves and to live wholly and completely and totally for you in Jesus' precious precious name